Today, we're continuing in the progression of what our five core values are. It's a 40-day focus coming in to the beginning of the year. This is the process that we introduce each year as the avenue of walking into church family membership. So we invite you to, and we ask everybody to make a connection within the structure of our community groups so that we're not just hearing sermons about these five core values, but we're actually having conversations and interactions about them. And as you walk out the door and turn left, you'll see the Welcome Center there. All the community group leaders' pictures are on the walls. There's a brochure there that you can get to kind of explain the different groups where they meet. And we would invite you to come and be a part of that so that we can all in a sense, be on the same page with some real specific intricacies that God wants to use in our lives to make us more like Him. How many of you want to be more like Jesus? Can I just see? We want to be more like Christ. That's our goal. And so as a family, we want to walk that out together. These are our five core values in statement form. If you'd say this with me, it's actually on your your page there. It'll also pop up on the screen. We are outrageously loving people who passionately pursue the Lord with irrationally giving lifestyles as we consistently submit to God's desires and effectively disciple others to do the same. So that's the layout. Uh, we, week one talked about outrageously loving. How many of you know God loves you with a perfect love? But the church loves you with an imperfect love, yet Jesus loves the church. So what we want to do is uh, understand what it is to be outrageously loving and even embrace the uh, imperfection that we find in the body of Christ as a part of God's plan to teach us how to love. Then we talked the second week about passionately pursuing, not just pursuing God, but being passionate about the things of God. Some of us are just by inclination more passionate than other people. Some are louder than other people. Everybody's gifted uniquely, but in our hearts there needs to be a passionate pursuit of God that shows up in our form of expression, whatever that looks like, in a passionate way that we're hungry for the Lord. And today we want to talk about what it is to not just be generous, but to be irrationally so. And the third core value progression, irrationally giving. So I want to just ask you the question, how generous of a person are you? How generous are you? Because like Jesus, how many of you would agree is really generous? He's, he's the most generous person in the room. Uh, if we took a vote, Jesus wins, okay? For God so loved that he gave. And so he's always giving, trying to draw us into more of what he has in mind, um, but what do people say about you? Like, what would others say if we interviewed your colleagues, your friends, your peers, people around you, and we said, so tell us about this person. How generous are you? What do you think they would say? Because these are important things for us to evaluate and consider. Where do we stand in this important value that we see in the nature of God? Not just as a core value as a church. Here's our mission statement. No, these are values and virtues that we see in the heart of God, and we created in His image need to be a reflection of those values. God is incredibly loving incredibly passionate, stirs himself up, the Bible says, and incredibly generous. So we want to learn to walk that out together. Our goal as a church family is that everyone in the room would be irrational about being generous. And how many of you know God will answer that generosity in amazing ways in our own lives? He just awakens something within us when we step into that role. So the Bible actually says that each of us and all of us are uniquely gifted on purpose. So you have a gift. I mean, this is kind of the, one of the common discussions I get into with people, and they say, well, I understand so-and-so has a gift, and I understand another person has a gift, 
but I'm not sure I really have a gift. And, and here's, here's where that's born from. It's born from insecurity that largely comes from you being so in touch with your private moments and constantly comparing your private moments with other people's public lives. You understand? Like, you know your weakness. You know your private moments. Let me just say, whoever you know in public life form, they have private moments too. And all of us have private moments, and all of us need to discover what our expression of our lives is. We're uniquely gifted on purpose. God has an assignment. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 6, having gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. I want you to know it's really a reality. You have gifts. God put gifts in you. And I believe gathering like this, worship like this, prayer and prophetic where we're declaring. How many of you believe God wants to awaken something supernatural in all of our hearts and our lives? There's something profound and it resonates when we stand a child up and we begin to see, say, you're a mighty man of God. It's something that took place in David's life as Samuel stepped up and said, I have a word from God over you. You and I need to learn to hear what God has to say about our situation more than what our situation has to say about our situation. Because our situation is loud, but come on, God is powerful. God has something to say, and he's put it within us. He's wrapped it within us. If you're uh, an accountant, uh, then you have been gifted by God to be drawn to and good with numbers. If you're an electrician, you've been gifted by God and drawn to being good with your hands. Whatever your gift set is, God actually uniquely formed you in that capacity. I am not a gifted fix-it man. Can anybody in the room bear witness to this? Perhaps the ladies will have to tell on the husbands because most men don't readily admit it. But like my man card needs to be revoked. I'm so bad at fixing stuff around the house. Tracy will tell me this needs to be fixed. And I'm immediately thinking, who can I call who knows how to fix something because I don't know how to fix it. You know, I can do other things, but that's not my gift. You are uniquely gifted. You are functionally gifted. You are skillfully gifted. You are spiritually gifted. And you have motivational gifts within you. Not everything that motivates one person motivates another. God did all of that on purpose. Isn't it amazing that God wired us to make the world happen? He wired us to make the world go round. Like Tracy and I, we've been married for quite some time now, and we have learned that we are uniquely different in the way we are wired in so many things. And, and early on, both of us were convinced because of that, there was just this you know, constant frustration. Why don't you see things from my point of view? When we, when we stopped trying to argue about who was right, and we actually brought a more complete perspective, we could see a broader picture, and the things that I carry that she doesn't, the things that she carries that I don't, come together to help form a more complete perspective of what God desires to accomplish. So all of us are uniquely gifted. You don't have to put somebody down to promote your own giftedness. Don't put somebody down just because they don't see it the way you do. Try and learn from it. In fact, if you become a critic rather than a student, then people around you will be much smarter than you. But if you become a student rather than a critic, then you'll be smarter than the people who are criticizing you. Learn from their perspective, even if they're not right. How many of you know you and God got it all together, right? Like, you can have your opinion, but God and I have it right. I mean, that tends to be our overall perspective. But understand, we're all uniquely gifted on purpose. And here's your first blank, if you'll write it in. The purpose of the gift, you, you saw that in that verse of Scripture. It says, let us use the gift, right? The purpose of the gift is not to have the gift, but it is to use the gift. 
purpose is not to have it. The purpose is to use it. Just because you have it doesn't mean you use it. Let me just see a show of hands. How many of you in your house have exercise equipment? Raise your hand if you have exercise equipment. How many of you, put your hands down, used exercise equipment in the last week? Can I just see? All right, a lot fewer people are using than having. How many of you believe if we could get a real picture in the room and I said, how many of you have gifts? then we would all raise our hand. But if I said, how many of you used your gift in the last week? Then there would be a lot of people in there and be, well, I'm not sure I'm really engaged on that level of using the gift. I mean, come on, we just need to step up and understand. You didn't wake up today on accident. You woke up on purpose. You're not an accident. You're a purposed assignment from God. There's something God wanted done that makes you necessary. You're wired the way you're wired on purpose and on assignment from heaven to leave your world a better place. All these gifts that God established within us, he did so to awaken us to the things that he's called us to accomplish in the world. Listen, you're not just here to live your life and then like go on and hopefully you really lived your life in a way that you had fun. You know, we looked at this last week. As as hard as this is for us to understand in the culture in which we live, we were not born for our pleasure. We were born for God's purposes. And we live in a society that trains us well, equips us effectively to serve ourselves, please ourselves, and to completely be self-absorbed. And God's constantly trying to break us out of that. And until we embrace the generous spirit of God, we live our lives self-absorbed. And let me just say, you were born for more than that. You were born for more than just serving yourself in the progression of these years that you've been allotted. So here's your next blank. Learning about and participating in the generous nature of God is very important to our lives, our legacy. Everybody say legacy. And our world. Learning about and participating. So here's a cool little statement, and um, I just pondered this years ago and kind of realized it in my own life, and as I'm a dad trying to raise kids and, you know, all the elements that we have, I I just kind of came to the realization, knowing what we ought to do and doing what we know to do are two different realms. Anybody in the room agree? Like, we're good at knowing what we ought to do. And, And I say this often. Um, I I think it's a really important element for us to understand. It's the essence of religious confusion, which we talk about. We'll probably focus on that book in the course of this year some. But the bottom line, we do believe what we believe in our Christian faith. We could lay out our Christian beliefs. We believe what we believe. But we love what we love even more than we believe what we believe. And because we don't address what we love and we only tend to focus on what we believe then we live distracted lives where our hearts are drawn passionately in the wrong direction. That's why Jesus didn't come and try and cultivate the framework for the Pharisees to get it all down right what to believe. But he said, listen, all the stuff you're talking about believing, all the laws rest on these two very important things. Love God, love others. He went right to the heart. So you and I need to learn to cultivate that, deal with our heart. God wants to reach into our heart. And again, let me just say the statement that you filled in the blank. Learning about and participating in the generous nature of God is very important to our lives, our legacy, and our world. How many of you want your kids to be generous? How many of your kids were not generous when they first started learning about their toys, right? One of the first words they learned, mine, that's mine. Like, selfishness comes natural. 
Generosity does not. I just want to tell you in marriage, selfishness comes natural. Generosity does not. I just want to tell you in friendship, selfishness comes natural. It's very natural for selfishness to emerge. But generosity does not. So we have to purpose to learn what it is to be generous. We have to purpose to learn to awaken that generosity so that our relationships can flourish. Now, our children are not going to learn generosity from their buddies. They have to learn it from us. And I, this is a real scary thought, and we've all come to this realization if we have become parents. The children are watching us. Right? And they learn what we do more than they learn what we say. I, I mean, Lexi was barely old enough to uh, communicate. She was old enough to grunt. Man, she could grunt with the best of them. But she would, you know, let us know what's up. And Faith could talk. And, uh, and they were in the back seat of the car. And I'm driving down the highway. And, and, and you know, they're having their little, ooh, ooh, ah, ah, you know, conversation back and forth. And, and Faith, Faith, again, she could articulate. And she, I, I don't even know how she saw it. I'm just telling you, I was driving the car, one hand on the wheel. Well, no, no, two, uh, ten and two, just like you're supposed to, two hands on the wheel. And as I'm driving, um, there was a car that wanted over in my lane. My lane. And they wanted in my lane. And so I slowed down just a little. I didn't hit my brakes. I just barely let off the accelerator enough to slow down and let the car into my lane. Anybody drive like this? A bunch of sinners. And so um, they, I let the, let the, and it was a lady, and I let her over in my lane, and she came on over, and then I just sped up and got behind her, not, not even thinking that much about it. And faith... And Lexi, in the back seat, having their caveman conversation, Faith, over on this side of the car, says, I mean, I didn't say anything. How did she know? She said, Daddy, why were you nice to that lady? As if I'm not nice all the time when I drive. Maybe she'd just been in the car with her mother so much that she wasn't used to kind drivers. I don't know. I mean, we'd have to evaluate this further to, to understand. But, but she noticed that I was kind. <laughs> I'm in trouble. And she noticed that I was kind to this person. I didn't teach her a lesson in kindness verbally, but I showed her a lesson in kindness in that moment by a behavior I did not even know she was watching. They are watching you. It is so important that we understand the example of our lives demonstrates the belief system that our kids will embrace. And you can say you believe something, but if your life demonstrates something contrary, they're smart enough to know the difference. So how do we demonstrate generosity? How do we see what God is trying to uh, reveal in this regard. And there's a really important word, and a lot of people today are very, you know, sketchy and cautious, and they don't want to get into the conversation. But I want you to understand this is a biblical concept that we need to embrace, and you need to understand, and you need to teach your children in it. This is the way we did it with our kids. We cashed a check, and we got it all in small bills. And so they were very young when we did this lesson. We came home, and we put all the money, small bills, on the table, and it looked like a, a lot of cash because it was all small bills. And, and so we put the money on the table, and we talked to the girls, and we said, listen, God gave us talents. God gave us abilities. 
And so we use those talents and we use those abilities that came from God to go and work and make money. And so this money came from the talents and the abilities that God gave us. So in essence, all this money comes from God when we obey Him and use those talents that He's put to work in our lives. So this money came from God, and we should honor God with the money that came from Him. And so we asked the girls, don't you think we should give some of this money back to God? And they said, yes, we do. And I said, okay, it all came from God. How much do you think we should give to God? And they said, all of it. It all came from God. Let's give it all. Easy to give all when it's not yours. I said, hold on, hold on. We need food. We need clothes. We need gasoline. We, you know, there are certain things we need. And so I, I then divided this pile into two even piles. And I said, if it all belongs to God and all came from Him, wouldn't it be fair that we gave half of it to God and we took half for us? And they said, that, you know, it made sense. And then we divided it into two more piles. And you know what these piles were? The word tithe means 10%. That's the word masra. It's a Hebrew word. It means 10%. And so we made a 10% pile and a huge 90% pile. And we said, you know what God does? He gives us all of this. And then to serve as an expression of worship to him and a reminder to us, he asks that we give him 10% and we get to keep all the rest. How many of you think our kids registered with the generous nature of God in that moment that we were bringing that lesson? You know, when Tracy and I decided to get married, I mean, we were married for 10 years before we had our, our first child, Faith, and uh, Faith is 16 years old. So you get the picture, you understand the math. We've been married for a few years now. And um, when we first got married, we just decided, you know, we're going to really devote ourselves to this concept. And in the 27 years of marriage relationship, that has been a conviction of ours that we've lived by. I've not always led a church. <laughs> but wherever we've been, we have chosen to honor God with a tithe of our income every time we had increase. And we've done that and included our girls in it, and we talk to our girls now. They have income. How many of you know it's got to be tough living with your pastor? Did you get paid this week? Uh-huh. Let's talk about church, <laughs> right? It's got to be, sometimes it's got to be tough. But the, the fact is, I, it's not from a church perspective. Before I was ever a pastor, we were talking about this. You know why? Because it's a biblical reality and a biblical revelation that God actually has purpose for us to understand. And I want to just kind of explain a little bit of why this is so important. But understand this, giving never diminishes our lives. Giving never diminishes our lives. When you walk out, you know, we don't pass buckets and do the traditional, you know, collection offering thing. And the reason we do that is because we want to try and train and equip people to be mature and responsible and worshipful in their giving. So during worship, you may find your way to the giving station. Some people will do that. Uh, and as you go out today, you'll see the giving stations on both sides back there, the kiosks and so on, different ways you can give through the app online or whatever, however you'd like to do that. But you'll see a sign right beside the two giving stations, and it simply says, giving enriches us. It does not diminish us. And we want to constantly come back and repeat that and rehearse that together. Giving doesn't diminish us. Giving enriches us. How many of you believe it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. 
I mean, Scripture's pretty clear about that. So learning to give according to God's standards and perspectives really awakens something of a generous nature in our lives, and it awakens something of greater provision in our lives, which I want you to understand. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 says, A generous man will prosper. Generosity positions you to prosper. I, I don't even understand how it works, but God increases your life when he finds you as a faithful servant that's willing to express the generous nature of God in your world. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So, like, we live in this materialistic society. How many of you are glad you're a Westerner? Right? Aren't you glad you live in the Western world? How many of you are glad you don't live in a third world country? I mean, I am so grateful. I've traveled to places like that, and I am so thankful for where I live. I, I went to one place I couldn't believe the deeply impoverished mindset and perspective and culture that existed in this particular nation. And when I came home, I remember flying back and I got off of the airplane and I just walked out of the airport and I literally wanted to bend down and kiss the ground. I looked at all the highways that we have. I mean, I saw my world from a whole nother perspective. I really treasured and value. How many of you are thankful that God has blessed us in the United States of America and for the men and women who serve to protect this country and position us to be free? I am so thankful. But I want to just tell you that blessing comes with a whole lot of responsibility. To whom much is given, much is required. And so here's how we tend to live our lives. We tend to live our lives kind of like saturated sponges. We're just saturated. Have you ever seen a, a sponge that could hold no more? If you try to pour water on it, it just repels around it. And we live our lives like saturated sponges. We think we need more because in our mind, that's what, we, what's, what we've cultivated. Our society around us tells us we need more. Surely we just need more. And we think we need more, but here's what we need. We need to squeeze out some of that which we hold so that we then can be given more of what God has in store. But you have to squeeze out before more can be given. You can't tell a fire, give me heat, and then I'll give you wood. You have to give the wood before you get the fire. You can't tell the bank, give me interest, and then I'll make an investment. You have to give the investment before you get the interest. I mean, it's a natural principle, and it's a spiritual principle, and God wants us to get this, not because he's after something in your life, but because he wants to deposit something in your life and awaken something of generosity, and we need to take our children on this journey with us so that they understand when we're making these sacrifices. And we're explaining to them we're making these sacrifices because we believe this is what God has called us to do. Yes, we're, we want to be responsible as a church family. We want to learn to be generous. And those things are all really important parts and components. But there's something really specific the Bible says about the purpose of tithing. And I know there are going to be some differing, varying you know, viewpoints. And I have a lot of those conversations. And and the main one is, you know, tithing is Old Testament, and, uh, and it is. But it was also before the Old Testament when Abram tithed to Melchizedek, and Jesus, after the Old Testament, he didn't do away with it. He came to fulfill the law. 
he said, you shouldn't neglect the tithe. And then Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, give in keeping uh, with your income a sum of money. What is a sum of money? Well, we understand that portion actually kind of puts us all in a place where a certain percentage that we've decided is a sacrificial expression. We're going to make that happen. But all that is kind of the argument side of it. But let let me just be clear. This is such a great verse out of Deuteronomy 14, 23. There's a purpose for, for our giving. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. The purpose of tithing is every time when, uh, and I, I'll just be real frank with you, when Tracy and I get, first got married, she was going to law school. We really needed God to intervene because I came here, I met Jim and Diana Howard, and like that was 26 years ago, pay scales have changed a little bit, but, but I, I came in and I said, you know, I'm an aspiring young man looking for a place to be and happen, and I really love the Lord, and, and, and there was just a real chemistry and connection that happened, and we kind of knew God was up to something, and they offered me this whopping salary. I started here. I know you put on your seatbelts, fasten your helmet. I started here making $16,500 to support my wife in law school. And my budget said I had to have more than that. I turned down a job for more than $50,000 starting position uh, before we moved here because I felt God was saying, I'm calling you into an area of ministry, and that was not ministry, what I was going to be giving myself to. How many of you know God will honor if we'll obey? And somehow that year it worked out, we were able to make our budget, and through the course of that year we were faithful with our giving, constantly honoring God, and He just continued to increase our lives in amazing ways and has blessed our family, and we continue to live that out. So here's the way we kind of resolved in our own hearts. Uh, Next blanks, all of the world's resources come from God. God owns it, and God loans it. God owns it, and God loans it. You didn't have anything when you came into this world. And you know what you're going to have when you go out of this world? Nothing. (laughs) You're only going to have what you have as long as you breathe. And so, you know, uh, uh, most of us under 100 years, we have that, whatever God's entrusted to our care for that amount of time to really focus in on expanding the work of God in the earth. And so this helps us to begin to embrace a generous lifestyle as we walk this out in the Lord. This, this, this is really amazing, but it becomes a tool in God's hand to break the spirit of materialism off of our lives. Listen, there's a brand of Christianity. All, all this is, you just have to understand, this is about embracing the nature of God. There is a brand of Christianity that I believe is emerging in the earth that is moving from knowing to a place of Loving, serving, and giving. It's moving from knowing to a place of action. Not just about what we believe, but how we express or how we behave. And the actions of our lives, people will say, why were you nice to her like Faith did to me as a child? Why? I mean, it just seems almost irrational that you're being generous in this situation or in that. And I believe God really wants to stir that within us as Christians, that that becomes the lifestyle that we live. You know, where your treasure is, your heart will go. Uh, I used to have a motorcycle. And when I bought that motorcycle, man, yeah, how many of you know, if you buy a motorcycle, you need a new helmet. And after you get a new helmet, you need some good riding boots. 
How many of you know you need some good riding boots? I mean, all of a sudden, like, life was about this. My wife, you know, she constantly talked to me about it. She didn't like the motorcycle. Then she talked my girls into, you know, getting on board against me with this motorcycle. And she was, you know, saying, you don't want your daddy to die, do you? You know, I mean, all the conversations that she I'm not, I'm not sure how she did it, actually. But, but, but they finally won, and I sold the motorcycle. How many of you believe it's God's will for me to get another one? I, she's got eyes in the back of her head. She's making notes. Who said yes? She'll get you. Wherever you put your treasure, that's where your heart will go. How many of you ever bought a new boat? Man, you go out and you wax that boat. You get a new car. You don't park it in the normal parking spaces. No, you park it out there, and you walk extra so you don't get door dings. Just for a little while, and then the new wears off, right? Because that's your treasure. And where your treasure is, like your heart's consumed with it. How many of you want to have a heart for God? I want you to think about this. Jesus didn't die so we could merely go to church. He died to establish the church. If you really want to have a heart for God, then learn to put your treasure where God tells you to put your treasure, and you'll have a deeper passion and a more meaningful love and a greater expression and a truer experience in your relationship with who He is. If we don't devote ourselves... I, this isn't a blank for you, but I, I want to say this in a way that hopefully you'll be able to think about it, ponder. It may not even be on your, on your paper there, but if we don't learn to devote ourselves to the greater purposes of love, if we don't learn to devote ourselves to greater purposes, the greater purposes of love, then we will confine ourselves to a self-serving existence. And you were born for more than that. You were born for more than that. You know, Jesus said that if we will deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him, we'll be saved. It's an interesting little statement, that first part. Like, we're good with talking the cross, aren't we? Jesus died, he suffered. But there's a, there's a requirement there that a lot of times we miss. We love to talk about the sacrifice Jesus made, but he actually calls us to make sacrifices to see the kingdom expand. Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Jesus didn't just come to merely deliver you from your sin. Jesus came to deliver you from yourself. And he sets these things in motion so that we're constantly coming back face to face. Just how free from me am I? Just how in control of my life am I? God doesn't take control until we let go and let him have control. And, and that's not easy. I mean, let's be honest, that's not easy. You heard about the guy that fell off the cliff and he grabbed a hold and the tree was like a small tree and he's, he's hanging there and the roots are starting to come loose and he knows he's just got a little bit of time and he starts yelling, help, help, anybody up there? And he hears this voice, yes, this is the Lord. He says, well, help me. He says, let go. Is anybody else up there? You can trust him. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us understand uh, today's really not about framework and it's not about rules. It's about a heart, the heart of God, that you want to prevail in our lives, that you awaken something deeper within us than what we're really capable of living for in and of ourselves. 
In Jesus' name, just with heads bowed, eyes closed, if you're here and you say, you know, I just, I'm not sure I'm serving Jesus. I, I want to make sure I'm right with God. If that's you and you need to make a decision to follow Christ today, would you slip up your hand? I just want to pray for you just quickly. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? <laughs> yes, sir. If you're here and you say, you know, this whole giving thing, I know God's dealing with me about it, and I want to take some steps forward to grow in this, then raise your hand. Just in all honesty, God's dealing with and convicting your heart about overall this generous nature of God and giving. Thank you, thank you. Yep, yep. Yes, sir, yes, ma'am. So, Lord, we... We know the nature of God's revealed as we walk out the will, plan, and purpose of God. I pray that today, Lord, you just help us to just bring our focus a little more in alignment with what you desire to accomplish. You are Lord. You are Lord. And we honor you today. Would you just stand with me as we stand to honor this King, Jesus? Lord, we honor you today. And we lift up your name. We declare today in agreement, Jesus is Lord. Would you say amen if you agree, Jesus is Lord. Jesus came and he lived and he died and he's, he's alive. He's risen from the grave. Would you say amen if you believe he's risen from the grave. Lord, we celebrate your life and we celebrate your love and we pray that you would teach us to wake up to what it is to the generous nature of God functioning in our everyday lives that everywhere we go, the world around us would flourish as a result of the nature of God being expressed through our surrendered available lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Listen, I, I want to ask you, your action point this week is that you take some time this week We'll have these discussions in our groups, but with your family, take some time and talk about and pray about what your giving should look like. Have the, if you have children, grandchildren, have the discussion with your kids so that they're included and involved in that. And we're all coming to some resolved conclusion in the way that we want to lead our family. Lead our, what a great morning to have dedicated our children. We want our kids to grow in that dedication. And listen, if you're interested in baptism or being involved as a part of the church family, then fill out that merge card and drop it in as you go today. Let me ask, would you just take a moment, like whatever has stirred in you, whatever's awakened in you today, would you just allow God to further that? We're just going to take a few moments here before we close. And we're going to declare the heavens are opening. How many of you believe the heavens are opening? The heavens are opening. It's a day that the church needs to rise up and declare the heavens are opening in the earth.